0: When they've studied this, what they've discovered is that people who consume dairy products, there is a shift in the microbiome towards what I would describe as beneficial bacteria. Now, there's a reason why I don't make recommendations based upon microbiome studies in isolation.
1: Welcome to the exam room podcast brought to you by the physician's committee. Hi, I am the weight loss champion, Chuck Carroll. Thank you so very much for raising your health IQ with us coast to coast in the U.S. and in more than 150 countries. Hi to everyone listening in Lincoln, Alabama, Bakersfield, California, and Aberdeen, Scotland. Wherever it is that you are, we appreciate you helping to make the world a healthier place. This is episode 74 of season 5, number 373 overall. When it comes to milk and microbiome, should we be setting our relationship status to It's Complicated? Some say it's big time good for your health. Others say it'll just drag it right down. So milk and the microbiome, what is the truth there? Dr. Will Bulsiewicz, two-time New York Times bestselling author and the Mac Daddy of microbiome is the guest on The Exam Room Live this week. And as a reminder, you can join us live every Wednesday, noon Eastern, 9 a.m. Pacific on YouTube and on Facebook. Ask the doctor your question right then and there. So we talked milk and the microbiome. We also have questions Questions about lactose intolerance. That one came from Selena and Karen. Wondering whether you can find the beneficial bacteria in yogurt in non-dairy sources. That's a great question. Justine checking in, wondering about vegan cheeses. We also have questions about vegetables and probiotics. And then we kind of took a detour from our typical conversation. And we started to talk a little bit about the line between a healthy diet and then having a healthy mindset when it comes to your diet. What is the line there? How do you maintain that healthy relationship? And then back on the nutrition front, also questions about salt and sugar being added to fermented foods. What effect do they have? And then we talked about sourdough and a whole lot more. Also today, we're going to be doing another five-star success, and that's where you leave your health story and a five-star review on Apple Podcast or wherever it is that you get your show. Let us know how your health is improved by listening to The Exam Room, and I will do my best to read your story right here on the podcast. But right now, let's get going with milk, the microbiome, and a fantastic conversation from The Exam Room Live with Dr. Will Bolsowitz. Good to see you again, my friend.
0: It's nice to see you, Chuck.
1: So let's talk microbiome and dairy here, because here's the deal. like When it comes to dairy and health in the plant-based community, um, somewhat of a controversial topic, and I guess you could say that that extends outside of the plant-based community as well. What I know is that milk and dairy, those are like the top sources of saturated fat in the standard American diet. And then when we talk about saturated fat, we know that that contributes to things like heart disease and diabetes and Alzheimer's. We also know that there's research as as we're about to turn the calendar over to October, we know that that's been linked to breast cancer and then other cancers like ovarian and prostate cancer as well. But when it comes to the microbiome, when it comes to gut health, is it, in fact, a fair statement to say that it's kind of complicated?
0: Yeah, it is kind of complicated. Um, you know, let me, let me lead by saying this. I, I, I personally don't consume dairy, and I'm happy to explain the reasons why I don't consume dairy. But before I do, I, I, I'm going to answer the question. The question is, what happens with the microbiome when we consume dairy products? And what you'll find in dairy products is one of the only examples of carbohydrates that you will find in animal products. And that is lactose. So we hear about lactose. Lactose is a sugar. It's actually two sugar molecules that have been combined together. And 70% of the world is intolerant of lactose. What this means is that when they consume dairy containing products, that they actually are likely to have digestive symptoms, even when they're consuming regular amounts of those foods. So it could be gas, bloating, diarrhea, basically things that you don't want. So, you know, the first thing when it comes to dairy and digestive health is that this is perhaps the number one trigger of digestive symptoms from a food perspective out there. There is not a food intolerance that I can name that matches 70% in the way that lactose intolerance does on a global scale. But if we're going to talk about the microbiome, then we have to look at microbiome studies specifically, Chuck. And what's interesting about lactose is that lactose actually is probably the most redeeming part of dairy in the entire picture. So this um, sugar molecule, it actually turns out to be what we describe as a conditional prebiotic. What that means is that in certain circumstances, the lactose and dairy products actually can be a prebiotic to feed the gut microbiome. And so when they've studied this, what they've discovered is that people who consume dairy products, there is a shift in the microbiome towards what I would describe as beneficial bacteria, like lactobacillus and bifidobacteria. And this is the result of this lactose, this conditional prebiotic. Now, there's a reason why I don't make recommendations based upon microbiome studies in isolation, because that would be scientific reductionism. When we take complex science that's nuanced, and we reduce it down to one thing, we're oversimplifying it. It's like people who only use their blood sugar to make determinations about what they should eat. No, you should not do that. You are far more complicated than your blood sugar. And the same is true with the microbiome. We are more complicated than that. And The reason that I personally choose to not consume dairy products is the uh, connection of dairy products to a number of different conditions, some of which you've already named. So one is prostate cancer. My grandfather died when he was 75 years old. I feel like his life was cut short by prostate cancer. And there is a very, very powerful connection between dairy products and dairy proteins and the development of prostate cancer, which is the number one cause of cancer-related death in men. In the United States. So there are a number of reasons that a person may not consume dairy products. I think another consideration would also be animal welfare. And a third consideration is the impact on the environment. Land use, water use, greenhouse gas emissions, antibiotic resistance are all uh, ethical concerns from an environmental perspective that come from the dairy industry. So, But I guess to come back to this, can you be healthy and consume some dairy products? Yes, you can. Are there different types of dairy products and some healthier than others? Absolutely. So this is not an all or nothing type of thing. And that's just being sort of honest with the science. I choose not to consume it though.
1: All right. So when we're talking about not being an all or nothing thing, perhaps there are other sources out there as you were just talking about, Karen um, is, is wondering specifically about yogurt right? We hear so much about the beneficial bacteria that's in yogurt. And she's wondering what are some non-dairy sources of the same bacteria? What's a good way for somebody to get those?
0: Yeah. So it turns out that the bacteria that you use to create yogurt, it's a, it's a specific blend of bacteria and it does not require dairy products in order for you to use that blend. So the, the creation of yogurt involves several microbes, but one of the main ones is something called Strep Thermophilus. And this is sort of the classic Uh, yogurt bacteria or microbe. And if you were to take the the microbes that you would use to ferment and create yogurt and introduce them to a non-dairy plant milk alternative, you can still create that delicious flavor and have those fantastic microbes present in that yogurt. So now you could purchase this from the store as a non-dairy yogurt alternative. That's one choice, but I'm always a fan personally of making it yourself. And so what that involves essentially is having the uh, appropriate microbes, which can be purchased off the internet and also having, there's actually a device that you would want to purchase, which maintains the proper temperature that you need in order to uh, facilitate the fermentation process with non-dairy milk.
1: Yeah, that's man. See, you you in the kitchen and doing things. I think you like you do way more in that kitchen than you lead on. Like somehow I'm just seeing like this incredible, like sauerkraut manufacturing operation that you got going there. That's good for the gut health. We've got these pre uh, or the or the the, the uh, bacteria stuff you were just talking about there. Um I I just think that maybe there's a secret basement in the Bolsowitz house where you have all of this stuff going on, and perhaps someday we're all going to be able to walk walk into a grocery store and see this line of products called bolsowitz's best and it's just (laughs) going to be fantastic
0: you're you're funny chuck i don't i don't anticipate that day is coming but you never know who knows i did not anticipate that my career would be where i am today and having this conversation with you and these great people who are here today so you just you just kind of never know but You know, what I what I would say, though, is this the takeaway message from my perspective is that I do believe that we should be including fermented food in our diet. I do believe that this is an important part of a healthful, balanced, diverse diet. Like this is almost like its own type of food category. And one of the ways that you can you are not required to consume dairy based yogurt in order to do that. You're not required to do that. You can do that if you choose to. But there are alternative choices that exist that are great choices. That's the point.
1: All right. So I, th- you and I, I think maybe off of the show over the last month, maybe I sent you a study that uh, showed that the probiotic and the prebiotic market right now is just exploding and it's going to get even bigger. Um, and uh, for a lot of that, that means supplements. Rachel, though, is wondering which vegetables might be good for probiotics, wants to go a more natural route.
0: All right. So it's not that we need to necessarily... Um pick a specific vegetable for probiotics. Instead, it's thinking about um, the state of that plant. So I'm going to broaden this out and make it so that it's not just about vegetables because we we could include uh, fruits and other fresh produce. So it's about the state of the plant. There's two scenarios in which you will find that your food is living and has a microbiome. The classic is fermented food. Fermented food is actually the creation of a microbial ecosystem that involves many different species of both bacteria and yeast to facilitate the transformation of our food. We get a number of benefits out of it. Part of it is food preservation. This is why this was so important within the constructs of human history, because we didn't have refrigeration. But um, part of it is also transforming the food into something that's more beneficial for human health. And that's what we see in yogurt or in sauerkraut, or kimchi, or pickles, things of this variety. So the first thing is, if you want to get beneficial microbes, you can consume fermented food. And as I mentioned a few moments ago, I, I really am a believer that we all should be doing that. But the second place that you can get them, not as concentrated, not as densely packed with microbes, but still living and having a microbiome is raw food. Raw food, if you take uh, a plant, it could be any plant. That plant has a microbiome. As a quick example, Chuck, they've actually done this with apples. So like it's September, it's apple picking season in the northern climates. And um, they've actually taken a look at the microbiome of the apple and discovered that the apple has living resident with it about 100 million microbes. And it's a wide variety of microbes, literally over a thousand species of microbes living with that apple. And that's because much like we have a microbiome that helps to facilitate our health, so do each of these plants and all living creatures. Anything that's alive has a microbiome. So if you consume it as a raw food, you are consuming it with that microbiome intact. Now, when you cook it, and this is, by the way, not an argument against cooking, Cooking is also good for us, but when you cook your food, though, you do destroy the microbes because of the heat that's involved in the cooking process. So, the the argument is fermented food and some raw food as well.
1: All right, let's go back now to uh, the dairy, or more specifically, dairy alternatives. Here, when you go to the store and you're looking for vegan cheeses and vegan yogurts, Justine is wondering how you can know whether or not what it is you're buying is actually good for your gut health is there anything that you, we should be flipping over looking for specifically on the ingredients labels as he takes um, a sip of the yeah, of the there. yeah caught you there man my bad timing <laughs> horrible timing i thought you were going to go
0: on a little bit longer there my, my bad <laughs> um i i'm worried about the sugar content i think okay. I was, i'm worried about the sugar content and the other thing is that i do that we need to be cautious with any plant-based uh alternative choice we need to see these foods for what they are which is that in some cases they're ultra processed foods Mm. and um so it's hard to like give broad rules but i think a simple rule that i tend to apply you know look i was a chemistry major in college And when I flip over and look at the label of many of the foods that exist within our store, I have no clue what's even in there. I have no clue what these (laughs) these chemicals are, right? So um, true food should be quite simple and you should be able to recognize the ingredients. And if we were to make this yogurt at home, the way that I'm proposing, you would quite simply take plant milk and combine it with the appropriate microbes. And that is it. That is all you would do. So the ingredient list would be very simple and you would you would know exactly what's in there. So when we go to buy something from the store, there's the convenience that comes from purchasing at the store and not having to create it ourselves, but it comes with the, the trade-off that potentially we're buying something that is more on the spectrum of an ultra-processed food. I encourage people to take a, a look at the label, take a look at the amount of added sugar that exists in there, and also to take a look at the ingredient list. The longer the ingredient list, the more I'm getting apprehensive.
1: What are your feelings on adding sugar to a fermented food? Specifically, I, I'm i a huge fan of kimchi. I make no bones about that here on the show. Absolutely adore kimchi. The majority of kimchi, though, that I have seen in the store actually has sugar added to it. I've only been able to find a couple of brands that don't put sugar in there. How does that affect the benefits in terms of gut health as to whether or not there's sugar in something like kimchi?
0: You know, it kind of depends on how much Um, food prepared by the food industry. We should expect that they are trying to attack our pleasure sensors. They want you to get a dopamine hit from consuming their food. Dopamine implying that you like get a response that makes you feel really good. And the reason that they do that is that it brings you back. And so, um, it's a challenge because we live. You know, who who am I to pretend that I don't go to the store and buy products? I do. We all do, right? So I think what we're trying to do here is, to the best of our ability, to curate healthier versions of this. Um, but when possible, this is why coming back to spending time in the kitchen and preparing your own kimchi, kimchi. You know, by the way, Chuck. Um, In my new book, The Fiber Fields Cookbook, there's an entire chapter about fermentation. And it includes a number of different recipes. I forget the exact number. It's between 12 12 and 15. But that includes like kimchi cucumbers. And they're addictive and delicious. And you make them yourself. And they're not hard to do. And you make a batch and it will last you for weeks. That to me is where we ultimately need to transition is to... Um, see the opportunity to create our own food when possible and have control over what exactly goes into that food.
1: Is it wrong that it's football season Sunday afternoon? Kimchi cucumbers just sounds like an incredible snack for me on game day. I mean, my taste buds have really changed, man. But is that is that football food to you? I think anything
0: spicy is football food from my perspective. You know Good what I mean? So man. like and and you can and you can like um uh, uh, doll up or like you know turn something into a first class type of deal like taking chili for example you take your chili it's got a ton of beans it's delicious it's spicy and then you put a dollop of sauerkraut or kimchi in the corner of it that's delicious
1: just takes it up that notch, man. It absolutely takes it up that notch. Uh, let's do a roll call here. Exam room. is checking in worldwide. Doctor B. Uh, we have uh, Bluhia from uh, Algeria. I'm sorry that uh, if I mispronounced your name, but I do appreciate you being here. We have Anand checking in from India. Says uh, best wishes. I watch your show regularly. Excellent one as always. Keep it up. That's awesome. Uh, Rochelle just wants to say hi. Hi. Uh, we have so many people from all over the world. So go ahead, post. Uh, let us know where you're watching today. We would greatly appreciate it. Uh, wherever it is that you're raising your health iqs with us appreciate you being here my friend uh davis is looking for a little bit more clarity on lactose here uh dr b he's wondering whether you consider lactose to be a good prebiotic
0: uh no so (laughs) so if we were to line up all of the prebiotics that exist okay so what are prebiotics? First of all, this word prebiotic, for those who haven't heard me talk about this before, it's a term that means the food that feeds your microbes. This is their energy source. And as a result of them consuming this energy source, they repay you with health benefits. So in order to qualify as a prebiotic, you have to meet those criteria. You have to be food for the microbiome. And it has to ultimately lead to downstream benefits to human health, as I mentioned a moment ago. Lactose does qualify as a prebiotic. Um, this is the only prebiotic that I'm aware of that comes from the animal product world. That's the only one that I'm aware of. Uh, the you know almost exclusive um, presence of prebiotics is in plants. All plants contain prebiotics. That's fiber and polyphenols and resistant starches. So whether it's fruits, vegetables, whole grain, seeds, nuts, and legumes, if it's a plant, you know, it's got prebiotics. And if we were to create a rank of the top prebiotics, it would be rather challenging for me to do um, because the science is rather incomplete. But what I would do is I would look at the prebiotic that exists within these foods and the broader food and the benefits of that broader food. I want to just think of it as just this fiber or just this polyphenol, but instead, what does it mean within the bigger picture of things? And what I would offer to you is that we would have these fruits and vegetables and whole grains and seeds and nuts and legumes. And I could, for every single one of them, point you towards the research that suggests that they're beneficial to your health beyond just being prebiotic. I could point you to the, the research that exists for every single one of them and how they will help you. And then I would come to dairy and it would be the prebiotic lactose in there. And I would say, but there's a problem. There is a compromise that is required. There may be some benefits to dairy consumption relative to say, I don't know, Coca-Cola, right? I mean, truly, there may be some benefits to dairy consumption in that setting. If you replace Coca-Cola with dairy products, or particularly if it were fermented dairy products, But it's also coming with a compromise, which is that it increases your risk of certain specific conditions, such as prostate cancer, perhaps endometrial cancer, perhaps breast cancer. So to me, why would I choose the food that requires my compromise when I could choose the food that requires no compromise? Those are the plants.
1: All right, let's uh, do one more here on dairy, and then we'll open it up and do a wide range of uh, questions here. Selena is looking for kind of a a brass tacks kind of final answer from you here. Um, Is dairy good for your gut since so many people are lactose intolerant? Yes or no? I think you said at the top of the show, more than two thirds of the global population is in fact lactose intolerant. I
0: don't think it's good for your guy. I think that there are far better choices that you can make, like choosing plant-based sources.
1: There you go. All right, let's go ahead and open it up. Uh you, my friend, uh, have spoken glowingly in the past about sourdough bread, and uh, Mommy vegan Nummy at twelve thirteen writes, when I'm using sourdough starter to make bread, will the beneficial bacteria die in the baking process?
0: Ah, uh, good question. Uh, the answer is yes, they will die. Uh, when you bake the bread, but prior to their death, which sounds, gosh, that's so morbid and dark. So I feel a little bit bad. It sounds like very uh, catastrophic, but but prior to that happening, they will produce healthy bread and they transform the bread. So um, sourdough bread is not the same as consuming regular bat- bread fermented with baker's yeast. And that transformation process basically like takes the flour and turns it into something that's slightly different. And so you still get the benefit of that transformation, even if the microbes are not present. And I think it comes back to the point that when it comes to fermented food, the benefit is not just the microbes. The benefit is the microbes and also what the microbes produce for us. And so let's not lose sight of that. You still get all of that with the, with the sourdough.
1: All right. Uh, quick departure here. Vegan Todd says loving the Led Zeppelin t-shirt, Dr. B. That is fantastic. You've got good taste in threads, Vegan Todd. Uh, question from uh, Ian here at 1209. Ian checking in from Norway, by the way. That's pretty cool. Uh, he Ian writes, uh, I eat ground flax, ground chia, and hemp seeds mixed into my steel-cut oats along the same lines of what it was we were just talking about with sourdough. Ian is wondering, will cooking those things destroy any of the nutrients or should he mix them in after the cooking process
0: uh particularly when it comes to so ground flax the the, um the flax if you don't grind it you can't release the lignans um and get access to the omega-3s so so it's a requirement for the flax for it to be ground and the issue is that when you grind it you actually expose it to air and that that introduces an oxidation process so from my perspective given sort of the um and i don't want to sound like excessive fragility of these of of the ground flax but there is some fragility to it given that fragility i prefer to add the ground flax after you cook the steel cut oats so cook first then add after
1: uh for those of us who don't know what exactly is a lignin that you just referenced
0: uh, lignan, so these are a uh, um, unique component that you will find specifically in the ground flax. Like you, you won't find it in the chia or the hemp. And quite similar to what you will find in soy products, which are that they have benefits to people for hormonal mediated diseases. So for example, um, lignans will reduce the likelihood of developing breast cancer in women or prostate cancer in men which is quite interesting because that is actually the implication there is that it's protecting you from the consumption of dairy products. And really what we're talking about here is sort of blocking these hormone receptors. that's, That's effectively what these lignans do is help to block these hormone receptors and protect us from hormonally mediated diseases.
1: All right. uh, If you have a question for Dr. B, remember doctor's mailbag wide open right now, post it in the comment or in the chat. We're going to get to as many as we can here today. Next one comes to us from Mary at 1217. We were talking about sugar a little bit earlier and Mary is wondering how much sugar is bad. So I'm guessing like what's the daily limit that you would recommend?
0: Oh gosh. I mean, I, 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 I really don't have a number Um, I think that the amount of sugar that we consume as society is excessive. I think that's quite clear. And in order for us to move uh, towards a reduction in our sugar consumption, it really requires us to step away from using ultra-processed foods. And so that to me is where my focus is, is let's try to, whenever possible, replace these ultra-processed food sources with instead um, sources that are whole food plant-based and we're cooking at home.
1: We've touched on this one in the past, but always seems to come up, so it's always good to answer it again. RJ, wondering about kombucha and gut health. What's the connection there? Thumbs up or thumbs down?
0: Yeah, Somewhere in between. I'm, I'm not, I'm not, I wouldn't sit here and advocate for kombucha consumption to people who don't consume it, saying that you're missing out on something that's crucial to your health. It is a fermented food. There are benefits to fermented foods. You also have many different alternative choices when it comes to fermented foods that include, we've mentioned some of these, sauerkraut, kimchi, plant-based dairy alternative, uh, like kefir, um, uh, tempeh, miso. These are just a couple of examples of fermented foods, pickles. These are just a couple of examples that you could that you could consume. It's, you know, nutrition, like getting back to dairy for a moment, Chuck, it's all about substitutions. Nutrition is about substitutions. What What are you replacing with what? You could make, you know, butter seem healthy if you're comparing it to something that's less healthy. So it's always, what are you comparing to what? And when it comes to uh, kombucha, would I prefer for you to drink kombucha than to drink soda? Yes. Would I prefer for you to drink kombucha compared to water? No. That's kind of where it falls.
1: There you go. uh, Compared to what? I think that that's always an important question that gets uh, overlooked a lot of times, right? So compared to what? If you're going to have, I guess, kind of, you know, like Coca-Cola versus the kombucha, the kombucha is going to win nine times out of 10, right? Um, You, my friend, love some sauerkraut. Obviously, we've talked about that a lot in the past. A lot of people have written to me, both with sauerkraut and kimchi, and they're concerned about the sodium content in there. So we have a question here from Vi at 1212. And Vi says, I want to eat homemade sauerkraut, but it is so high in sodium. Can you get the same results with the probiotics by using less salt in the fermented cabbage?
0: There's a certain threshold of salt. So when you make, when you make sauerkraut at home... Um, what you want to do is actually use a kitchen scale and that kitchen scale will allow you to be very precise in the concentrations of salt. And in the interest of food safety, you have to meet those concentrations. When you don't meet those concentrations, you are taking the risk that this could become unsafe food. So um, I think it's important for people to understand that there's going to be some salt involved. Now, You know, one of the issues that exists within the plant-based community, and I, I think that this is like important to unpack, is that we have been talking about the problem with salt intake in the United States and how this is, you know, harmful to our health. I completely agree. The salt intake in the United States is completely excessive and it is harmful for your health. But where is it coming from? It is not coming from sauerkraut it is coming from ultra-processed foods. It's coming from fried foods. And the excessive consumption of ultra-processed foods and fried foods lead to this excessive consumption of salt, and it leaves you no wiggle room. But if you're eating a whole food plant-based diet, that does not include that exposure to salt. And the fear or concern that you are excessively consuming salt, I mean, I understand that we have like sort of said we got to cut down our salt intake. We do. But once you cut it down, you don't need to live in fear that a couple of bites of sauerkraut are sometimes somehow destroying your health. I would actually argue very much the opposite.
1: You know, personally, not speaking on behalf of the organization here, uh, just personally, I'm really happy to hear you say that because, you know, somebody wrote me an email the last time you were on the show and and kimchi came up. And they were like, just so you know, dot, 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 you know, you should not be eating kimchi. We're talking all caps, multiple exclamation points, underline, bold, you name it, as much as they could possibly do. That's what they did to this. You should not eat kimchi because it is high in sodium. They were like, essentially they were trying to make the point that it's as bad as a French fry or as a potato chip or something like that. And as a guy that used to eat bags of potato chips and tons and tons and tons of French fries, I can sit here with confidence and tell you like, there's nothing, nothing that you could draw a comparison to between those things, you know, the potato chips, the fries and the kimchi, like they're just not the same thing whatsoever. So to hear you say that, I think that that is a very important message. And it goes back also, Dr. B to something that I've heard said on this show too, is like a lot of times we get hyper-focused on one nutrient or in this case, you know, one ingredient in that case is salt. So when we do get hyper-focused, I mean, are are we just kind of get getting, you know, lost along the way?
0: Yeah, I think we're losing the nuance. I think yeah. I think that I think that, you know, part of the problem is that we become conditioned by the conversations that take place wherever those conversations may be, the internet or wherever. We become conditioned by these conversations to really sort of vilify specific nutrients when in fact you need salt intake in order to live. Like you do. You can't go zero salt. You would die. Right? So, um I think it's like understanding the context of all that, which is that within the context of a diet that is 60 or 70% ultra-processed foods, the amount of salt intake is excessive and we clearly need to reduce it, right? We clearly need to reduce it. But when you reduce your salt intake, you shouldn't live in fear that salt is causing harm to your body. You need salt intake in order to live. And it's it's true of many different nutrients, Chuck. You you could take uh, omega-6 fats, for example. So it's quite simple and easy to vilify omega-6 fats. We consume way too much of them. We're outpacing omega-3 intake, 15 to 1 in the United States. Most of these omega-6 fats are coming from vegetable-based oils. Um, And it could be very simple to say you should have no omega-6s in your diet. That would actually be completely wrong. Mm. It's an essential fat. We need omega-6s in our diet. It's actually a part of a healthful diet. It's just that we need to have them balanced the appropriate amount. So how
1: how does one balance, right? Because it's it's so ultra easy to get swept up in this, whether we're talking about eating an exclusively plant-based diet or a keto diet or the South Beach diet or the standard American, it doesn't really matter. I mean, we all get swept up in this or that, and it kind of makes us neurotic to a point, yeah. right? Like ultra obsessive. So it's like, how does one find that balance between like being mentally well when it comes to what it is that we're eating and then also physically well based off of what we're eating? Like, how do we do this? Cause it's complicated, man.
0: Oh man, I can see it in your eyes. And, and the, these, are, these are complicated things and you're speaking as the voice of the people because I know that there are people who are feeling the exact same way that you're describing right now. And what I, what I come back to, Chuck, is, and what I've described in my books, you know, <laughs> it, if you know me, then you know that I'm actually not a very big fan of eat this, not that. I'm much more of like a, hey, food is great. Food is fun. Let's eat for variety. Let's eat for abundance, right? But like, if you're getting stressed out because of, say, my recommendation to eat 30 different plants, and it's actually causing you to be bothered by this. That's not what I want. And it has gone too far. And to me, the point at which we cross the line. So we are in a relationship with our food, Chuck, like it or not. And that should be a relationship that brings you great joy. Eating food is one of life's greatest pleasures. And when it stops being that, and it becomes work or something that creates negative energy, In your life where you're living in fear of food or you are concerned that you're not doing it properly we've crossed the line and that's when we need to walk it back and this is part of the reason why i always say progress over perfection because within the space that we are currently having a conversation which is a plant-based diet or a vegan diet within that space it is very easy for people to get carried away and excessively focus on perfection And I actually take issue with that. I think it's problematic. I think that it's important for us to find a healthy balance for all of us, wherever that may fall and feel good about
1: yourself. Oh man. See, cause now I could, I could go down this path all day because then the other part of me is like, all right, well, if you give an inch, the old me would have taken a mile to be like, well, it's essentially saying, do the best that you can. That means, well, the best I can is by going right back to the drive-through. So that's where I'm going to go. Right. So it's like, you kind of give yourself that permission to continue with these unhealthy habits, but then it's like, you have to realize that the best you can do, if you're just getting started is probably a lot better than you're doing today so you have to explore that space as well but then being able to recognize when you've crossed over that line that you were just talking about where you are neurotic about it and you're ultra obsessive to the point where being healthy has become an unhealthy obsession and so like it it is a really interesting thing like you know what i would love to do is bring on like a food psychologist or food psychiatrist. And then the three of us just do like a panel discussion or something like that. Because I mean, that that's a complex issue. But I think that there's a lot of people out there that could get some great benefit from a, a full show just devoted to having that healthier relationship with food you were talking about.
0: You know, I think these are complex things. And here's, here's a, a couple things that I would say about this. So first of all, There are many different voices that exist within the health and wellness space. There are many different voices and perspectives that exist within the plant-based movement. And people come at it from different angles, different motivations, different context, and a different sort of way of delivering the message. The way that I say stuff is different than some of the other leaders within the plant-based space. I embrace that. I welcome that. In no way do I believe that my way is the only way and the correct way. Instead, I believe that it's nice to have multiple different voices saying multiple different things, but we're all sort of pushing in the same direction because ultimately that's going to connect with different people. Different people connect with different messages, right? So like I personally would connect with a certain message, but I may not connect with other messages. And so it's important that we have an environment where all the different types of people that exist out there can find some sort of voice that they latch themselves to and that they want to be a part of that. So I, I, first of all, I embrace the fact that there are many different perspectives on this. Um, and when it comes back to this idea of, you know, for example, if you give them an inch, they'll take a yard or something of that variety. I, I understand that. But what I would actually say is, this, this is not about what you need to be or some sort of expectation for the future. This is about that one step that you can take today one step, and it could be a small step. And if you take that one small step, then you are making progress and you should feel good about yourself. And when you come back tomorrow, you'll do it again. And every single day, when you take a small step in the right direction, you're going to wake up one day and you're going to realize that you accomplished your goals, but you didn't put the pressure on yourself to say, I have to be this by this particular day. I don't really particularly like that.
1: Oh, dude. I love you so much, man. And, and as a guy who was in that position, uh, you are spot on. I mean, with scary accuracy, because it's, it's so easy at the starting line to see the finish line, like way, way, way. I mean, we're talking in a lot of cases, like miles down the road and you're like, why even bother? But if you do one step at a time, one step every single day, eventually you are going to get to that finish line. You're going to cross it and it's going to be better than you could ever have possibly imagined. And yeah, it can be daunting at first, but one step at a time makes it a whole lot easier to do. Yeah. And this is, this is
0: the idea of a growth mindset. And I'm not the first person to introduce this, nor would I try to claim that Carol Dweck is the person who introduced the idea of a growth mindset, but it is something that you will find in my books because I believe in it. And it's the same idea, by the way, that as a father, I want to pass on to my own children, regardless of what they eat. Mm. I want them to have a growth mindset because it's a healthy way to go through life.
1: All right. Uh, Let's uh, see if we can grab a couple of more questions. Like I said, man, we could do this all day. Um, But let's grab a couple of more questions here before we close up the doctor's mailbag today. But uh, quickly, another roll call. Jan checking in uh, worldwide. Jan is in Wales. We've got Angela in Michigan. Nikki is in the UK. Abe in Indiana. 30 seconds to savory. I'm guessing they're a chef. Uh, they're in New York City. Misty is in Virginia. Here we go. Marta is in Poland. Uh, we've got somebody in El Salvador. We've got more people in Vegas. I mean, they're all over South Dakota, Japan, Jacksonville, Florida. Stay safe right now, my friend. Um, so, yeah, I mean, just and Zambia. I think that that might be a first. How about that's that? Cool. You ever had somebody check in cool. from Zambia?
0: Man, I don't I believe that. so. I think that's really cool. I love that. I'm so, and I'm, and I'm excited about all of them. Hi, Marta from Poland. Yeah.
1: Well, uh, let's go ahead and take a uh, Kyori from Zombie's question here. Uh, we were talking sourdough earlier in the show. Um, they are wondering, is it possible that consuming sourdough bread actually disrupts microbes in your gut?
0: No, I don't think so. I, I, th- there's actually um, research being done by one of my friends in the UK. Um, she uh, has a program called the, the sourdough school and, uh, it's actually quite remarkable what she's discovering in terms of the benefits of sourdough consumption on the gut microbiome. So, but the key is to remember that what you're starting with is you're starting with the flour. Ideally, this is a um, well sourced whole grain flour, right? Like in a perfect world, you're milling it yourself. And then this is being transformed into what ultimately is output as sourdough bread. And, um, you know, could, could you consume this to excess? Of course. Would I argue that this is the backbone of healthful diet? Absolutely not. Like this is not like the backbone, but we also may find, we also find that in the blue zones, for example, Sardinia, what are they eating literally every single day for lunch? It's a big old bowl of minestrone, tons of veggies, tons of legumes, and a slice of sourdough bread. That's how they roll.
1: So so you're a minestrone guy, not a minestrone?
0: Minestrone, minestrone. Tomato, tomato.
1: <laughs> I got you there, Agree Barbara. Agree to disagree, it, Chuck. It's, hey, man, whatever. It, it if we're going to fight
0: over this, so be but, it. But, no,
1: man, like, any way you want to pronounce it, it still tastes good to me, right? That's all that matters. Uh, Barbara is in Switzerland. That's another global check in. Uh, Irina is in Serbia. Hello there. Regina, Cincinnati. Diana in Pennsylvania. I'm just, I love the global feel of the show. It's, it's cool. so cool. Uh, it's and then, cool. Uh, get you to comment on this has nothing to do with health, but okay. I, I just think that. When it comes to being plant-based, you can't put anybody in one specific box because it takes all kinds. So Mark here is saying, "I can't imagine vegans enjoying football." Um, I love football; covered it for a living. That is hilarious I did the show. to me. Yeah, that
0: is hilarious. I, yeah. I, Mark, I wish I could. I wish I could get back the hours a day that I obsess over football.
1: <laughs> yeah. I mean, I know you've got a fantasy team. I've got a fantasy team. Um, I've interviewed vegan NFL players on this show. Uh, the quarterback of the Chicago Bears, he's vegan. Uh, Trent Williams left tackle for the San Francisco 49ers. Will be going back to being vegan after the NFL. He and I have talked extensively about that during his time uh, in Washington. There's so many out yeah, there. and and, and just- You
0: know, with, with full respect to Mark, obviously I don't know Mark, but with full respect to Mark, Mark, let's not be generalizing about people based upon the food that they eat. I mean, yeah. come on, man, Mark. like you're 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 better than that.
1: <laughs> I get look, man. I got love for Mark. Mark just doesn't know. I mean, maybe Mark's not a sports guy, you know. And and so we we have these generalized ideas that we have in our head, and sometimes you know it's just like, eh, that's not really the way things are. So let's just pull back the curtain and show them show them the world for what it is: the football world.
0: Real quick. There's someone in the crowd, Brandon, who just said he's a diehard football fan and he's a fantasy football writer and podcaster. Brandon, I listen to about five fantasy football podcasts a day. You're going to have to reach out to me later on and tell me which one is your show. I want to take a listen to it. Thank you.
1: Yeah, Brandon, that. name drop it, man. I'll, I'll give you a subscription to that. Most definitely. That's fantastic. Um, All right. So let's, uh, let's take a hard turn here, uh, a turn into the bathroom here, Dr. B. We're not afraid to do that here on this show. I mean, I'm Question, surprised it took
0: us 46 minutes to get there.
1: Yeah. <laughs> Question from, God, I love doing shows with you. Question from <laughs> VA. Um, I'm pooping five times a day. Is that normal? I can't stop. Uh, they say that they've even gone so far as to uh, start taking some, uh, acai powder with uh, prebiotic fibers, slightly firmer, but just can't seem to turn off that faucet. Yeah.
0: What do you do? Well, it depends on how you feel. It depends on how you feel because if you, if you poop five times a day and every time you go, it's a good, complete relaxed evacuation and you stand up and you walk out of the room and you feel fantastic. You have nothing to worry about, my friend. Flip side, you're pooping five times a day. You're straining to go. It never feels complete. You finish up, but then you feel like you still got to go. You come back again in another hour. Every single time, it's just a little nugget. Well, that is a different story because that isn't actually like five good complete evacuations. That's five micro bowel movements, and you're not completely emptying. And so there's a difference between these two. Um, So people who eat a high fiber plant based diet, they will poop more than once a day, typically. And when you poop more than once a day, and you feel really good and satisfied when you go, then you're in a great spot. But if you don't feel that, and you're feeling these other symptoms that I'm describing, then it may be something to discuss with your doctor.
1: All right, and uh, final question comes to us today from Stockholm, Sweden. And uh, Asa, who is checking in from there, how do you reset gut health after taking antibiotics?
0: Oh, good question. Uh, I would actually argue, Asa, that the the number one factor, believe it or not, is what you eat before you take the antibiotics. We actually have this uh, research where a high-fiber diet reduces the impact, negative impact, of antibiotics on your gut microbiome. So what you want is you want to be on a high-fiber diet before antibiotics, during antibiotics, and after antibiotics. What you discover is that if you were to like sort of dig a ditch with the antibiotic, that ditch is the decline in the bacteria numbers, that ditch would be a small little blip when you're on a high-fiber diet. And when you're on a low-fiber diet, it is a deep hole, and a slow climb out of that hole. So you uh, cause less injury and you recover much faster when you're on a fiber diet before you even need the antibiotics. The time to start is today. Now, what else can we do? You can also support yourself with a prebiotic fiber supplement. That's one thing that I would recommend. Um, And then beyond this, you want to look at this this period of time while you're on antibiotics and the two weeks to four weeks after the antibiotics And really protect your body during that time. So this is the time to really be attentive to getting a good night's rest, spend some time outdoors, exercising, managing your stress, and perhaps most importantly, don't sabotage your health. So you take antibiotics. Now is not the time to go out and have too much to drink. Now is not the time for excess uh, saturated fat intake. Now is not the time for sugar intake. So give your body a rest and a break and allow it to heal itself, and it will. Now, one thing real quick, Chuck, uh, this may surprise some people, but believe it or not, the vast majority of people should not be taking probiotics after antibiotics. This is based upon a 2019 study published in the journal Cell from the Weizmann Institute in Israel. And what they discovered is that when you take probiotics after antibiotics, you actually slow the body's recovery. So you actually are sort of standing in the way of that natural healing. Um, So for the majority of people, when I say majority, I don't mean all, but for the majority of people, I recommend that they not take a probiotic after antibiotics.
1: Very interesting. Very interesting. All right. Now uh, I've got the lowdown on the podcast uh, from Brandon Niles. It's called the okay. most accurate podcast. I've got it right here on my phone and yep. look what I'm going to do. I'm going to hit that follow button right there. Boom. All right. So Brandon, you've got a new subscriber and I'm pretty sure you see that logo right there, Dr. B. Uh, and I'm pretty sure that you're going to get another one here momentarily. Brandon, I need go.
0: help, man. Trey Lance went down. I'm in a super league. I'm in big trouble. Help me, man.
1: Uh, oh, all right. That's a, that's a, that's a different s- podcast. I mean, maybe we can do a plant-based uh, guest spot plant-based on this show. I don't know. Superflex. Yeah. Dr. B, doctor's mailbag is closed for today. I want to thank you for being here and raising our health IQs. And and yeah, I mean, I feel like we learned a lot about milk and the microbiome today and, and a lot about other things as well.
0: Thank you, Chuck. It's always a pleasure to come to you live from the Fiber Fuel Studio presented by Chuck Carroll.
1: Thank <laughs> there you, it is. There it well, no, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. What, what do you have going on right now? Do you have any classes coming up? Obviously, the Fiber Fueled Cookbook is available on Amazon or wherever it is that you get your shows or or, or your books or other. Um, what's what's going on with you right now, man? Uh,
0: a lot of exciting things are happening with me, Chuck. And I. some of them I, I, I can't talk about. But uh, one thing that I can talk about, I guess this is an exclusive for the exam room. So no one, I haven't announced this publicly yet but I'm launching a new course on October 10th. Um, So you'll be hearing about this in probably five days if you follow me on my social media channels. And it's going to be all about diagnosing food intolerances. So if you are a person who you eat food and then you suffer with symptoms, gas, bloating, discomfort, whatever it may be, if food is causing trouble and being disruptive in in your life, the first step is understanding what is causing the problem. And that's what this course is going to be focused on. So the course will be on October 10th for those of you who are interested.
1: Links to all of Dr. B's social media accounts can be found for you right now in the episode notes. So go ahead, give him a follow. So you will know when the new program launches. You will be the first to know my friend. Coming up next week on The Exam Room Live, renowned breast cancer surgeon Dr. Christy Funk will be making her return to the show. She's going to help us kick off our Let's Beat Breast Cancer campaign this year with a fantastic live Q&A all about breast cancer and diet and our four-pronged approach for lowering your risk of cancer. So join us next Wednesday on the Physicians Committee's YouTube channel or Facebook page. The show begins at noon Eastern, 9 a.m. Pacific, or just get the podcast next Thursday. We'll give you the full rebroadcast right then and there. And you can also send me your questions ahead of time. I am at Chuck Carroll, WLC. Time now for five-star success. We want to know about your own five-star health success since you've adopted a plant-based diet and how you have managed to raise your health IQ by listening to the Exam Room podcast. Here's how this works. All you need to do is go on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your show, leave a five-star rating, and in that review that you leave, write about your own health transformation. And then we will do our best to read that for everyone right back here on the show. Our first five-star success comes to us from G Franny, who writes, This is my favorite podcast about eating plant-based. Chuck has interesting guests and helps to keep me motivated. I have lost 30 pounds and I feel great. Well, G Franny, that is awesome to hear. I'm so happy for you that you are achieving your weight loss goals and... The one thing that I've learned on this show is that it's not just about the weight loss. That's the big thing. That's kind of like the beauty pageant of health, right? But the fact of the matter is, when you start losing that weight, so many other things start to click into place with your health as well. I would love to keep tabs on how your health is progressing, so don't be shy about reaching out and letting us know how you are doing. And our next five-star success today comes to us from Anders, who writes, This podcast has changed my life. The mental and physical benefits of eating a whole food plant-based diet are innumerable. I'm only 23 years old, and I plan to be plant-based with my family for the rest of my life. Anders, you are wise beyond your years, my friend. 23, and you've got it going on and you have your whole life ahead of you still. So I can't wait to see what the future holds for you. I think that your health is on point and thank you so very much for sharing those nice words with us here on the show. So the five star health success, if you want to share your story, all you need to do is head over to Apple Podcast or Spotify, wherever it is that you get your shows, leave that five-star rating, and share your story in a nice review. Let us know how the show has helped you. Let us know how your health has improved, and we will give you that spotlight right here on The Exam Room. And don't forget, Albany, New York, this Friday, September 30th, I will be emceeing a comedy show with our friend the vegan comedian Mike Kaplan that's going to be at co-host music hall and then I'm going to be sticking around that weekend and speaking at the Albany Veg Fest on Sunday that is October 2nd going to be taking the stage at 11.15 that morning and then T. Colin Campbell will be up shortly thereafter it would be great to see you guys at these events I would love to meet you say hi say thank you for listening to the show and I'll have my big pants with me so if you want to take a picture. If you want to see what it's like to step inside of a 66 inch waist pair of jeans, grab that selfie. We can absolutely make that happen as well. Ticket information is in the episode notes, or you can visit capregionvegans.org. That's capregionvegans.org. C-A-P, and for today, that is going to wrap things up. I want to say thank you once again to Dr. Will Bolsowitz for being here and having just some incredible conversations. This really was one of, I feel, the best episodes that we have done in a very long time. So it's always an honor for him to be on the show, and especially this show, which was really, I think, on point. And I hope you got something out of it as well. For everyone here at the Physicians Committee, I am the weight loss champion, Chuck Carroll. Thank you so very much for listening. And remember, as always, keep it (laughs) plant-based.